Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled if you've got a pulse. This podcast is for you. We love Jesus. He is alive. He is about a good work in his church today, and he is certainly present in the most precious Eucharist. So today we're leading off with an amazing conversation between friends, and we're just going to have a great time today, but we're going to follow it up with a, a new document, a discussion on a new document today called Mysterium Fidei. My Latin is a little rusty. And just a reminder that if you haven't left a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that you can do that still. It's really easy. Just don't do it while you're driving. Be safe. <laughs> yeah, just help us get the word out there that Jesus is alive, that he's about a good work, and that he is present in the Eucharist. So I want to know about your season of life. I want to know about who you are, so yeah. please okay. introduce yourself in whatever way you see fit. Okay. <laughs> so my name is Anastasia Eftink, and um, current stage of life is I work as a youth minister at Church of the Ascension here in Overland Park, um, which has been a huge blessing. I've been here for almost six years, which is wild. Let's go. And um, yeah, we just had youth group last night, and so it's if, if I sound a little bit tired, if I sound a little bit... <laughs> I don't know, out of it, um, please forgive me, but it's, I love the youth, yep. <laughs> but leaving work at 9.15 is, is a little rough sometimes. <laughs> um, anyways, I also am getting ready to be married. I'm engaged to a wonderful Ooh. man named Jonathan nice. Elam, and uh, I recently joined the Metal Water Bottle Club, so <laughs> you're going to enjoy being in adoration with me when I knock it over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Earthquake. <laughs> seems like there's always somebody in adoration who it's has so one real. of those and knocks it over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that gets to be me now. Um, let's see. Other fun things. I really love to bake. Um, I recently tried out some new scone recipes that were really good. Yum. I made some shortbread cookies and I infused them with tea, which was a new experience that mm. I loved. And, um, and actually, I think got to have some of those at my bridal shower, which was cool. Um, and then let's see other fun things. I do CrossFit. I can't not talk about doing CrossFit. <laughs> right. Um, you got to get yoked for the Lord. You That's know? right. That's yeah. right. You're you're the first official CrossFitter that we've had on the show. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it up. I know your first choice was Father Mike Schmitz, but uh, he's a little busy. I'm glad that I could could be your second <laughs> choice. No, super honored. And what about you? Hey everybody, I'm Ann Virgo. I work with the Flocknote team. I've been with Flocknote for about three years, and I'm a Kansas City native. I actually lived in uh, in a household with Anna. Yeah, you did um, during COVID, <laughs> which was fun and different, and I grew so much. Um, it was kind of nice because we were, of course, very focused on our household because you could only kind of stay at your house and stay at home. Right. Um, and I really think during that time, I found myself very much so missing the Eucharist and also asking God a lot more intentionally, "What's the vocation that you're calling me to?" And I was very thankful because I had been up to that point kind of back and forth, um, one toe in like lay world, one toe in religious life discernment. And if anybody else has ever been there and in discernment, you can't really discern while doing that. Mm. And so I was really asking God, I actually got COVID twice, which was wild, different Bummer. strains. I, I know. Um, but that gave me some time to reflect because I literally couldn't do anything but kind of sit in bed. I prayed a lot. Um 
And the Lord, he revealed to me that, you know, you're called to, to married life. Mm. And I was very blessed and thankful for that. But I thought, great. So if I'm called to married life, that takes somebody else. Um, where, where am I going to find him, you know? <laughs> um, and so uh, lo and behold, in these last few years, God has really worked in my life in incredible ways and brought a Catholic gentleman named John, um, which his dad's name is John. My dad's name is John. He's also named John. Our firstborn is probably going to be named John as well. Mm. And a strong <laughs> uh, line of, of John's. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'll be getting married, uh, actually here at this parish at Ascension church on August 12th this year. Let's and go. so very, very excited about that. God's been working in amazing ways. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about the Eucharist because now that we've been able to come back to church, right. leave our, our homes, doors are open again, I think pretty much internationally now. All over the world, our, our church doors are open. I think that the states were one of the first to reopen church doors, which I was really thankful for after all, all the shutdowns yeah. ha had happened. Yeah. But I'm really excited to just dig in. It's been cool to get back um, and really enter into the mass. And I'm really thankful that hopefully we'll be able to have a big Catholic wedding. Yes. Yeah, let's go. The more the merrier. Yeah, praise God. And you mentioned Flocknote. What's Flocknote? Yes. So Flocknote is a communication tool to build a more connected church. Okay. And everybody that works there, that partners with us, we're on fire to share the gospel to reach people that are uh, both reached, that are active at the parish, but especially those who aren't getting reached or who we're kind of missing a point of contact with in, in between masses or people who stop coming to mass. Um, and then in an uh, in sort of a, a global way or a perspective to reach everybody. We partner with Catholic churches, with international ministries, with really anybody in the church world. We've even got a couple of the synagogues on, on board with us hey. that are wow. <laughs> working go. through scripture um, in, in their own way. Um, and I think uh, Hunter will have to uh, shoot me straight here if I'm uh, off, off the course at all, but we even partner with a couple of Catholic bookstores and I think a lawn mowing business by a high schooler that Let's sends go. out scripture verses to all of his customers. That's, That's awesome. very, very cool. But yeah, we're a communications tool. Um, we're actually an all-in-one tool and kind of glowing uh, glowing and, and growing more into that space of we want to be like the one-stop shop so that people can trust if their church is partnering with us that we can do it all, right. all in, in the one tool. Yeah. And so hopefully reaching people um, that are super active, that are working for the parish, that are coming to Mass, and those who aren't coming yet, mm -hmm. um, because we really want to build love that, that. It's that, yet. that connected it's church just body. Yet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and Flocknote's international. It is. Yeah. yeah like sure this is. is no small thing. Just want that to be clear. Like, sure. yes, you're helping a high schooler send Bible verses to his clients, <laughs> but you're also international. Yeah, So true. that's beautiful. Um, thank you, Ann. Of course. Hunter. Excellent. My name is uh, Hunter Leonard. My state of life is I am recently married. My wife's name is Amy. Congratulations. We got married last October. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. So uh, very, very happy. I'm in the uh, post-wedding bliss. We're loving life and marriage in our home. And we're loving it so much, we, we wanted to bring another life to, to celebrate that with us. So we have our first baby uh, due this upcoming August. Come on. Yeah. I'm very excited for that. Thank you. So a lot of a lot of new things happening in my life in the last year or so. Uh, moved out of state, uh, got engaged, got married, bought a house, having a baby. So <laughs> lots and lots of good change in my life. Right. Um, so yes, married with my uh, lovely bride, Amy. We have one on the way. Uh, we live actually in northern Texas, uh, right north of Fort Worth, uh, within about a 20 to 30 minute uh, radius of my entire family. So I have oh, nice. six siblings. And so 
my parents are down the street, my brother's up the street, my other brother's down the street, my sister's down, we're all living in the same area, um, which has been just a, a huge blessing for us. Um, my family has played a very important, pivotal role in my own uh, love story with Jesus. And so um, very blessed to be living near family here. And then like Anne, I, I also work for the Flock Note team. I've been there for almost two years now. And yes, love, love, love working uh, for Flocknote. I, I was working for my parish back in California for nearly seven years uh, when I made that transition to start working for Flocknote. And um, it was just such a, a beautiful transition to go from working with one parish that was very close to my heart to now working with uh, over 10,000 churches that are especially close to my heart, but in a different way. Yeah. And so um, it's a fantastic. huge blessing to be part of the Flocknote team. Yeah. And and you and Anne share uh, the same title, if I'm not mistaken, which is Happiness Engineer. That's true. <laughs> that's a that pretty true. Cool, that's a pretty cool title. Yeah. I just want to. Yeah. I, I like to tell people I'm an engineer, but then I do have to clarify that it, it's a happiness engineer. That I is. love that, Hunter. Um, so good. Well, I think let's take that next step and just say, take us back to the beginning. Like we want to know. What's your story of falling in love with Jesus like? So um, for me, I was born and raised Catholic. Um, my family went to Mass every Sunday, and it was great. I have an uncle that was a priest, uh, or rather had an uncle who was a priest. He recently passed. Um, and have just kind of always gone to Mass, but, but my first encounter where I realized that Jesus was present in the Eucharist was actually when I was 15, I was on a youth conference. It was my freshman year. Um, it was so funny because my dad kept calling it a retreat. And I was like, dad, it's a conference. I'm going to go play Frisbee with dudes in robes. It's going to be awesome. And, um, and it was awesome, but I had no idea what a retreat really was. Uh, we didn't really do those for the youth at my parish. Even my confirmation retreat was like not a lot of a retreat. Um, so so going on that conference retreat, whatever you want to call it, it was so cool to me to see just hundreds of other teens look just like me from all across the country gathered at this one university in Kentucky. And, um, you know, the first day we started with mass and then we had dinner and we went back for adoration. And I had no idea what adoration was. Nobody had ever explained it to me. They just kind of threw us in and um, they're like, just be quiet. It's going to be great. And then there was this, this worship band. And I didn't know you could have a worship band. Um, that wasn't something that existed in my uh, worldview. Um, you know, we being Catholic, like we really like our organs. And I, I mean, I still like the organ. True. But this band, they were called the Hinges. And it was because they wanted to open wide the doors of Christ. And, um, I just remember that night there was this song that they played that really struck me to the core. And, um, I, I wish I could remember what it was called at this moment, but, um, but it was, it's actually, it's called indescribable. That's the name of the song. Nice. And one of the lines is you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing God. Mm. And, uh, so I remember just looking up at, the monstrance, I didn't know what that was called. I was just like, there's this gold thing that has the host in it. I don't know. And um, I'm not a crier. I've never been a crier. But I had just a couple of tears going down my face. I didn't really know what was going on. But that was the moment where I decided that I wanted to be Catholic. That was the moment that I decided that I wanted to know what it was 
to follow this Jesus guy yeah. and figure out like, is he actually present there? Cause I think he is because if he's not, then I don't know why this is happening. Right. But uh, yeah, that was my, my first encounter. And then, um, and then I, I ended up going to a college that had a really great Newman center, um, Southeast Missouri state shout out to you for your fantastic Catholic student center there. Um, but that was, that was another great opportunity for me. I had a roommate whose name was also Anna and so this many, is a theme you so might be many. noticing. <laughs> Almost all of my rooming situations since since I moved out of my parents' house have been with at least one other person named Anna or Anne. So that's pretty great. But um, so my roommate, Anna, was really instrumental in getting me to go to adoration. Um, I remember having a conversation with her one night in our dorm room. And... Um, and she was like, hey, we're going to have, you know, adoration, praise and worship up at the up at the church. You should come. It's going to be a great time. We're going to do ice cream afterwards. And I was like, you know, that sounds great another time. Uh, but pray for me and I'll probably show up there eventually. And then I just felt this really strong tug to go and and sit with our Lord. And uh, and then I like they couldn't get me out of the Newman Center mm. after that point. I was yeah. I was there every day for adoration before mass um, and yeah, and that was just kind of, that was kind of the beginning of, of starting to really fall in love with our Lord and, and figure out who he is. You know, then from that point I joined a Bible study and like I said, went to daily mass. Um, and it, it just continued to grow from there to the point that I, uh, became a missionary. I worked in Wisconsin for a group called Spiritus Ministries. Um, that was a huge blessing to get to work there. Um, and then that led me to Kansas City to work at Ascension um, as a youth minister. So it's been it's been quite the journey. There have been a lot of ups and downs and um, kind of like Anne was mentioning before, we we lived in household together during COVID. And I think all three of us ladies were just really missing the Eucharist and yeah, being able to just definitely. receive our Lord or, or to go and sit with him in in adoration. Mm. And you were, you said you were raised Catholic though. Yes. And it wasn't until this retreat or not retreat conference that you actually made the decision. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't, I was confirmed as a junior in high school. So, so for reference sake, um, I was still in that, like going through, um, SOR or Got school it. of religion. So you had not been confirmed yet. Had not been confirmed yet. Got um, it. but yeah, that was, that was a really pivotal moment for me where I was like, I think there's more to this yeah. than what I realize. And um, you know, I grew up in like the heart of the Bible Belt down mm. in Southeast Missouri, and like so many people in my class were Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal, mm. and so you would it was not uncommon to hear faith discussions yeah. at like at school for me, anyways. Mm. And um, I knew there were differences between all of our different like their their denominations and, sure. and our church, and. Yeah, that was that. So that was something that for me, I had wrestled with a decent amount by that point in my mm -hmm. life, but I didn't know that there was like a real difference right. between being Catholic and being Protestant. Um, and so that was that was why that moment was so right. pivotal for me. It was like I think there, I think there's more to this. Yeah, praise God. Yeah, praise Amen. God. So this is Anne speaking again. Um, so my journey with Jesus, wow. Um, I definitely think from a young age, I experienced that I wanted to grow closer to Christ and I didn't know what that meant or what I was experiencing, but that there was this being who is friend, who is mentor, who is father. 
and that I wanted more. Um, I recall <laughs> I was thinking about it on on my drive here to uh, to sit down and talk about this. That when I was little, I used to um, on some nights when I would have uh, trouble falling asleep, my clock would be ticking, and each tick I'd say, "Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you." And I think back now, and I'm like, "Jesus, I trust in you." Is something I find myself saying often. Yeah in the workday, if something is ticking and I'm thinking about it, I kind of like lean back into that. And so just even as a small child, God put something on my heart, like this deep call. And I remember being part of here at Ascension, uh, part of high school youth group uh, with Lisa Cotter, now Father uh, Gerard Alba. Um, mm. Back in the day, we had several ministers, just awesome people. Joe Paz here at, uh, at, at our parish, just very, very blessed having all these mentors from a, a very young age. But I remember them talking so much about adoration and what the benefit would be of going there. And this wasn't something that I grew up with. I have a strong Christian Catholic household that I'm so thankful for. Mom's a cradle Catholic. Dad is a convert. Both are on fire in, in the faith. Um, but I don't recall as a youth, besides going to youth ministry, hearing much uh, discussion about, well, adoration is a great place to kind of take yourself to unpack things to pour out your your heart and I had this encounter my first time going there was probably either late middle school early high school um, just from all the different youth ministry um, talks that I'd heard I go in there and I immediately I sit down it's quiet and I start to tear up and uh, mm. you know kind of different than than Anna I am a big crier <laughs> <laughs> and I found myself sitting there in silence um, with the you know uh, with Jesus with the blessed sacrament and just bawling. And I mm. thought, what is going on here? You know, I was like, so people are saying this is such a joyful thing. And they're, you know, feeling called to be in the presence of God because of this joy that they're experiencing in adoration. And I came to realize that as I was pouring out my, my heart, that that looks so different for each person, but that the Lord was unpacking. And in that sort of a bodily, a visceral response was me mm. crying. And I was releasing so many things. And when I was doing that, I don't really have all the words to articulate that in a clear manner but i experienced that deep joy and that yeah. instilled inside of my of myself that oh my gosh i'm actually what i'm experiencing here is a slice of heaven and just on the other side of the eucharist is heaven like this is like this two-way looking glass yeah. that is the lord is what that difference is what the connection point is and that's here in the eucharist yeah um and that was happening to me you know early high school at at the latest and it's something that has just stayed with me. And those are maybe the words is that wow. heaven is present. It's it's right there and I'm looking at him. <laughs> Dude. Amen. What Let's a, go. Like what yeah. a good I've never heard it that way. Like it's a looking glass and like it's so cash. That's amazing. Praise God. It's, it's even yeah. beyond that. Like just not just a looking glass, but a being glass. Mm -hmm. Like where literally these two places, like these two presences exist. Like heaven meeting earth happens and is in the Eucharist. Come on. Amen. Yeah, that's so cool. good. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Hunter, lay it on us. Yeah, I. it sounds like my experience is, is somewhat similar to both Anna and Anne's. Um, I was very blessed to have been raised in a very um, devotional and practicing Catholic family. And that definitely like laid the foundation and the groundwork for my relationship with Jesus. And, um, you know, we, we grew up, I would see my parents going to mass and adoration and confession, and they would uh, constantly invite and bring us um, all seven kids along for, for those activities. And, and so like, I already, I always had that image before me of, 
um, of what it meant to be Catholic. And I believe that we were very well catechized from an early age. And so um, there was never really like a, a, a doubt or, uh, you know, a lack of underst- or a lack of knowledge of, you know, what the Eucharist was from a young age. We kind of all understood. We were told and taught from our, our family um, about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And so I think that that definitely was a, a major blessing for me and laid the, the foundation for having this loving relationship with him in particular in the Eucharist. But of course, um, like everyone at, at some point you have to, to make that decision for yourself and it wasn't enough for it to be my family's faith and religion. It had, it had to be mine. And so that definitely uh, happened during my, my high school years. I was very active in our youth ministry program. We had a life teen program um, at our parish and, and I would say in particular on, on a retreat, my senior year of high school, I had a very deep and real encounter with the Lord in, in Eucharistic adoration. And um, I would say that that was the point where um, the love I had for Jesus wasn't just like my family's love for him, but became my love for him yeah. because that was a time where I encountered his love for me as an individual and not a love just for my family or right. for the church. Right. And I, I remember, I feel like I, I don't really tell the story that often, um, mainly because it's, it's just like, it gives me the chills when I think about it and I can't quite like grasp everything that happened. But I, I do, I remember we were, um, entering into Eucharistic adoration and our youth minister was, you know, was doing a little bit of a, a explanation of, of Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist. Um, not everyone who attends the retreat obviously knows and understands. And, and I remember as, uh, as he finished sort of speaking and I was just kneeling there in front of, in front of the host, I, I remember being really assaulted by these confusions and doubts. And I, I felt almost as if audibly, like I heard uh, the devil, like saying like, how, how could that be God? How Mm, could that be Jesus or be anything? You're literally just looking at bread. And I remember being, you know, shocked and frightened um, to have these doubts that had never assaulted me before. And, and I just remember honestly praying like, Lord, please like reveal yourself to me. Please show me that you really are here in the Eucharist. And, and I just prayed over and over and over again. And, and I just feel so blessed because he did. And I remember, um, in the midst of, of those assaults and and doubts and asking the Lord to show me his face that I just remember, uh, everything changed. Mm. And I, I really believe I had this great grace and vision of seeing Jesus standing before me and the the colors and the lights of the room changed and and i just saw him standing before me saying i am here and i remember i and i'm not a crier i did break down in tears and i just had this reassurance and this recognition of him in the eucharist and i can honestly say that that since that moment senior year of high school i don't think i've really ever doubted his presence yeah and uh i had that sort of like that heart knowledge um, began at that point. And then the rest of my life was more so, I wanted now the head knowledge. I wanted to, to learn more about sure. his presence in the Eucharist and, and kind of study and, and figure that out more and try to 
you know, the more that I could understand it, the more that I could love him. Right. And so I'd say that that was really like the beginning of like my personal relationship with, with him and in particular within the Eucharist. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So good. Yeah. We can only love that, which we know. Right. And mm. I think you said that perfectly, just this, how doubts crept in and were even like uttered to you and mm. how the Lord didn't cease showing up and making himself known to you. Um, I love throwing the gauntlet with the Lord sometimes, asking him, pleading with him, Lord, please show me. Like, show me that this is you. Show me that you are here. And he never backs down from uh, an inquiry like that. So I would love to talk about now just um, what's your lived relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist look like today? Yeah, so my current lived relationship with the Lord is, uh, you know, here at Ascension, we're really blessed. We have an adoration chapel. Um, I pop in to see Jesus pretty frequently. It's like probably a couple times a week that that I just go and sit in there. And then I, I try to make a, an effort. Um, my office is on the complete opposite side of campus from where the parish office is. And I usually end up coming to the parish office once a day, maybe twice a day, if it's a busy day. And um, the church is between between me and the parish office. So I like to stop in and at least, you know, grab some holy water and say, hi, Jesus. Today's a good day. Thank you. And then, yeah. you know, head back to uh, back to to the youth room. We like to call it the Shire sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I, I like to pop in an adoration. I like to pop in at the church and just talk to the Lord. Um, I also really love to go to daily mass whenever I get the chance. Um, we're again, super blessed. We have mass at noon every day. And so, you know, it, it can be pretty easy to schedule myself in such a way that I can, can go to, can go to mass and receive from the Eucharist. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where my relationship is at the moment is, um, I come to him a lot to rest. Yeah. This is, kind of a busy season with, with, uh, working in youth ministry, you know, about the beginning of April is when things usually start kicking into full gear. And then it just continues going like that until about October. And, uh, so between that and, uh, I'll be leaving Ascension in, uh, in June to start my new life with my, um, soon to be husband. And yeah, very excited about that. Um, but kind of like Matt, I will be moving out of state. I will be, uh, starting a new career. And, um, so all of those things kind of, yeah, life is very full at the moment and it's so good, mm. but I definitely find myself needing to make more frequent visits to our Lord just yeah. to sit with him and, and, um, be reminded of, of who he is and who I am and, and what our relationship is supposed to be. Um, yeah. 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 That's kind of, that's kind of where I am right at this moment is like, we're just chilling. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Praise the Lord. Well, and that's, that's so good that anywhere that you would move or travel to the Catholic mass is the same. The Catholic church Amen. is the same yesterday and today and forever. Christ is the same. And he's in adoration. He's in the Eucharist. That's something that I think for me as I've grown in the faith and um, even at different uh, at different points where I would discern or kind of take a step outside and think, what else is there out there in, in the world? And I, I spent a very brief spent, brief stint, I spent a brief stint in the Middle East, um, kind of discerning is Jesus Christ like the way, the truth and and the life? And is he the light of my life? Yeah. Um, and did discern, yes, like that's, that's him. Um, this is God. 
And what you just said about, you know, you came to, to him to rest. I think I'm just now, so this is Anne speaking again. I just now I'm starting to, to learn how to rest in, in him in mm -hmm. adoration. That this was something probably my life up to, you know, these last few years, I would always come to adoration when I was most stressed. And I don't really know mm -hmm. why other than I did find it peaceful to go. But I feel like in these last couple of years um, since, you know, all the, all the shutdowns in COVID, I've been coming to God in praise and thanksgiving. And that's something that I started to realize, I think, in the year of COVID, I was just kind of bringing God all my problems and stress, and he receives those with open arms, but I was forgetting to thank him and forgetting to worship mm -hmm. him, whether things are going uh, in, a, in a positive way or in a direction yeah. that I'd rather not have them go. Um, and so just these last few years, just learning how to enter in in praise and thanksgiving in worship well. Yeah. Um, and just having that opportunity to do that in so many places because we have adoration chapels and we have yeah. Catholic churches and the sacraments and the mass we can trust is the same and consistent everywhere. Now, if you go to a Latin high mass, it may be a little bit different, longer Latin, um, but you're entering in into this sacred uh, way that a community is choosing to be in the real presence of Christ. Yeah. And that for me has been when I had my, you know, uh, part-time journey in, in the Middle East of stepping out um, and kind of exploring. I went to other temples. I went to other places. Um, I even went to an outreach center where the Muslim folks there would like be missional and be talking to people wow. about their faith and their God and their way of uh, worship. It's called, you know, things that are just a little bit different. And sure. I started to realize as I was asking them questions that we were um, uh, shoot, shooting blanks up to a, a certain mm. point. We were running into an end of what they could answer. And I started to realize that in all the conversations that I had had with um, especially joyful priests, men that were formed and had given their entire lives to being a priest and had for foregone a family life in a biological way to be a spiritual father, to be a, a pastoral leader to so many people, yeah. I, I was like, there's no end to sort of my questions. I keep finding that I have more, but they had all these answers. And even if they didn't, when I sat in the presence of the Eucharist, I received the answers that I needed. Mm. And it was this, you know, this being that I'm not having maybe a verbal chat with, but I would take what I had talked to a priest about versus, you know, in comparison, a missionary of uh, the centers that I went to in the Middle East for a very different faith practice. Yeah. And I was getting answers both from a physical priest and from Christ in the Eucharist. And so my, yeah. my relationship in the present day, I feel like I've got some great answers. My first date with the man who I'm getting married to this this August, our first date ended with adoration. Yeah. Let's go. And Let's it go. received more answers there. And I'm like, keep them coming, Lord. Like Come I'm, I'm going to keep asking you, you questions because yeah. I trust that your will for, for my life is better, that you're going to have the answers. And as long as I'm walking in that truth, that this is probably, Lord, what you're asking me to do, and I can trust that yeah. fully. Wow. Like, it's so difficult to praise the Lord in seasons of dryness and despair. Um, of just like the these seasons of life where it's not super clear what to do next or like where we don't have all the answers or we're confused or upset or fill in the blank. It's really difficult to praise the Lord in those seasons, but whenever we just come to him, he always speaks a better word to Amen. us. He always speaks through all of that crud straight to our heart exactly what it is that uh, we've been crying out for. Um, and in need of. So, amen. Definitely. Thank you. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would say it's it's been interesting because, like I had mentioned before, I had worked at the parish for, for many years, and and I can look back fondly and, in a sense, like, I, I miss the ability to just be able to walk right into the chapel at yeah. any point in time during my work day. 
And one of my one of my duties at, at the parish was I would lock up the church at night, which is probably one of the greatest blessings I'll ever have in life was every single night of the week, I walked through the chapel and I would be able to just stop for a few minutes, sometimes longer than others. And, you know, say goodnight to Jesus before, before locking up the yeah. church. And, um, and I probably took it for granted and I, I look back fondly now, but it, you know, I'm in a different uh, state of life now. I, I don't, I don't work at the parish. I don't necessarily have the ability to take out my keys and go unlock the church if, if I want to, and it, right. it's closed up. Um, and so in a sense, I feel like I can, it's a lot more special now too, because um, I'm sort of dependent on when's the church open? Am I able to get to the church if I'm traveling or not? Um, thankfully, we do have a, a parish about like a 10, 15 minute walk from our home, which is which is nice. And I would say that my um, lived relationship with the Lord today is, uh, first and foremost comes from the beginning each day in prayer. And I think that that's something that's a habit that I, I started uh, several years ago. And I've been, I, I'm not perfect in it by all means, but I try very, very hard to um, really set aside time each morning to begin yeah. in, in prayer. And I hope one day to, to get to a place where that can be like daily mass. Um, that these last couple years uh, of moving, buying a house, getting engaged, getting uh, married, like, made it very difficult to have uh, a very sturdy routine, yeah. um, let alone being able to go to the daily mass, but having like that time each morning for, for prayer and for just communion with the Lord in my room or, uh, you know, on the living room couch, wherever it might be has been really central yeah. um, to my relationship with him. And, and then I would say uh, going to mass is really just such a, a big thing for me. I, it is such a joy to be able to receive uh, Christ in the Eucharist. And, um, I feel like there's always like each time I go, I go to receive him. It's, uh, there's something new. There's a new grace that he wants to, to reveal to me just this past, um, Sunday when we went to mass, uh, there was a few first communicants. And so they were receiving Jesus for the first time. And, and right after the, uh, the priest asked my, my question is when is your second Holy communion? And one of the kids, you know, joyfully popped up saying next Sunday. And, just, uh, it was so great to see like how excited they were about receiving Jesus for the first time and how excited they were to receive him again. And I don't know how many uh, communions I have received and how many times I've, mm -hmm. I've been to Mass and received uh, Jesus in the Eucharist, but but it never gets old. There's always um, something new about it. There's always a new, a new grace to be revealed, uh, a new virtue that the Lord wants to build up in me, yeah. um, something that he wants to reveal about himself uh, to us each time. And so I know that um, trying to foster that daily prayer and hopefully get to a point of being able to incorporate daily mass, I think is something I, I genuinely want to do. Yeah. And then continued uh, adoration, that's also just always a blessing. I don't, I don't think I know like the right way, if there is, to sit in adoration. You know, I don't have a special uh, book or prayer routine when I'm in adoration, but I love to just find a chapel and sit there. And even if the um, the host isn't exposed in a monstrance, just being able to look at the tabernacle and, and know that the Lord is there and be yeah. able to look at him and let, let him look at me. And, you know, I don't really have to say anything. I don't have to have a request to put before him. I don't have to have, you know, questions I need answers to or yep. answers I want to tell him, but more just be able to just sit there and be and rest and, uh, trying to do that as often as I can, right. I think, is 
a huge staple in my my relationship with him. Yeah, spending time in friendship with the Lord. I think the culture wants to just diminish the Lord's divinity and make it seem as if Christ was just like some holy dude, like some holy teacher or whatever nonsense. But like he was God, is God, fully God, completely, totally, fully God, and completely, fully, totally man. Like that happens hypostatic union like the 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 looking glass kind of what you were saying earlier and it's like the, the 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 combination of the two not that it's a combination because there's no two things being combined they're just being held together in the same one thing and that one thing being christ and he having these two natures it's uh the, the church has some seriously beautiful things to say like on the lord's christology like the person of christ and his his natures his wills it's it's a lot, but just kind of what you're getting to, them being together in one and being able to go and rest with the Lord, who also calls us friend. Uh, that's so beautiful, uh, whether it be truly in front of him, like as he's exposed in the monster in the monstrance, or just in the tabernacle. I say just in the tabernacle. It's just a, a little piece <laughs> of metal separating us. Um, but still, just, yeah, the power of being able to just go and spend time is so wonderful. So, um Praise the Lord. And I love how you said, like, having that set time in the morning, too. Um, I just think it's so powerful to have those set times where we can bank on encounter. Like, and, and, and not just um, sit there with my coffee and talk to him, which is great, but maybe to even open scripture. Because what are the uh -huh. two things to ever touch the altar in any church, in any liturgy? It's the Word of God and the Holy Eucharist. Like aside from the the what do they call the the chalices the the holy the ve holy vessels or whatever that hold these things but just still the the word and the word made flesh are the two things to rest upon the altar for worship and just to to rest in his word just as much as we rest in his presence um, in a church somewhere so yes and amen some of our listeners out there have had uh, might be on the fence about the Lord's true presence in the Eucharist. Maybe they just haven't had that heart-to-heart -heart encounter, or maybe they're having, um, they're just wrestling with wrapping their, their mind around this, this mystical reality. But what advice would you give to anybody out there who might be on the fence with respect to the Eucharist? I think a, a favorite place for me, and something that I thought about a lot as a high school student, because um, again, I, I mentioned that my first taste of conversion mm. was as a freshman. Um, I grew up going to youth group. Our youth group was, it was called uh, DTS or Dead Theologian Society, which I never knew was a play on Dead Poet Society, but it was so cool. Um, we studied the saints. That was that was the thing. We'd meet once a month, yeah. study the saints in this room that was supposed to look like uh, like a catacomb. And um, and the the question that always hit me was, okay, so this person went to mass every Sunday. And they could levitate or they could bilocate or they could, you know, we always, we always talked about what their miracles were, sure. which was so fun. Um, but it, it was like they could forgive their their parents for, you know, whatever. And like usually if they're forgiving their parents, it was for some major thing. And I'm like, I, I'm just upset I had to do the dishes last night. Mm. Um, but for me, something that really struck me is that the saints very often point back to the Eucharist and they, they say something akin to once you know, he's there, you can't 
leave. Not because he wouldn't let you leave. Yeah. But because because the Lord the Lord respects our our free will and our and our ability to choose what we what we would like to do. But he reveals things to us as we are able to receive them. Um, and and that was something that really struck me as a high school student was that we're all called to be saints and that there are ways that that the Lord is going to reach out to us and to speak to us. Um, and so another big thing that, that happened with a lot of the saints that we studied was Eucharistic miracles. Mm. Um, that's something that I go back to actually a lot whenever I talk to students uh, who are struggling with with the Eucharist is that there, there are specific times when um, when the Lord has has removed the veil that's present for us yeah. and and we call them Eucharistic miracles. And that oftentimes means that the consecrated host starts to bleed. Mm. And um, and I, I'm going to totally mince things here, but... It's okay. There is a church, I want to say it's Lanciano, Italy. Lanciano. Lanciano. Sure, count it. The Eucharistic miracle of Lanciano. The, the Eucharist bled in whichever saint this was in their hands um, as they were holding it up at the consecration. Yeah. And there are still drops of blood that are present in the floor mm. and on the altar oh. from that. Mm. Um, and scientists have tested it. And, and science has gone crazy. About science this. has gone crazy. <laughs> yeah. This is so cool. All right. Oh, my gosh, guys. Let's go. This is, this is like the real, real. I've, I've said that a lot lately. This is the real, real. Um, <laughs> I love it. But like scientists cannot explain that the, the species that they're testing is alive and yeah. that mm. In each of these Eucharistic miracles, it has been the same blood type. It has been from the heart tissue of a 33-year-old man. Right. It has been uh, from like they can they can verify that it's from the same person, and they're not like this is yeah. the you know these are Catholics that are asking for this this test to be done, but we trust that science will yeah. show this, and then all these scientists are becoming Catholic because yeah. Jesus wow. is really present there, and once Thank they you. realize what it is that they're testing, they yeah. like. It's it's that that drop from the head to the heart, right. you know, and and that is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, like and these, so these scientists, these atheistic scientists who are going out of their way um, to try and prove, like they can't wait. They're chomping at the bit to do these tests. Yeah. Right? And then they do these tests, <laughs> and they're like, oh no. They're like, my jaw is on the floor. You mean yeah. because they're what? trying to disprove exactly. like any kind of reality yeah. to this? Yeah. 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 You don't yeah. hear you don't you're not gonna see this on the news, folks. Like. Yeah. Right. For good reason, because uh, the devil's about a good work in the news. So mm. just yeah. get out of there while you can. But yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Just so sorry to interrupt. You. Oh, no. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm just going to riff for a moment and you can use whatever <laughs> this you want. <laughs> but, um, you know, working with with young people, I also like to point back to uh, Blessed Carlo Acutis. Yeah. Uh, if, for those of you who don't know, he was, I believe, a 14 year old boy who um, he he. Well, he died as a 14-year-old. That's what I'm, what I'm trying to say. But um, before that, he had encountered the Lord in a really profound way. Like he has, if you if you ever get a chance to read the quotes that are attributed to him, oh, they are beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like he just puts it in such simple language that teenagers get, you know, like uh, we very pale folk, we like to get in the sun to get nice tans. And so he, had, he has a quote about, getting in front of the Eucharist and, and what if, what if, you know, the way that we get in front of the sun to get 
tans on our skin, what if the same marks were on our souls because of how often we are in front of the Eucharist? Ooh. How beautiful would that be? Yeah. Um, but he was was like kind of a super genius in his time. Like this was the early ages of the internet. He created a web page that focused on all the Eucharistic miracles that had been recorded ever. And, um, and it, I think it's still in existence and, uh, several of the parishes have had, have had the Eucharistic miracles presentation come in and it's actually information from his website, which is just bonkers. A 14 year old, like we, we talk about 14 year olds, like they can't sit still, they can't do anything Mm. right. We can't trust them to go to the bathroom and, um, and then, and then like interstage left Carlo Acutis <laughs> and he just like knocks out all of right. these, um, all these thoughts about teenagers yeah. and how like, oh, well, they don't know Jesus. They don't know this. They don't know that. But man, if you ever have the chance to talk with a teenager, whether that's a middle schooler or a high schooler about what it's like for them to go to adoration and what their conversation with the Lord mm-hmm. is like. Um, they don't always recognize it as a conversation, but yeah. very often they'll tell you it was so peaceful or they can point to something that is in their heart that has happened to them. Yeah. And they can say there was a healing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, oh, man, that yeah. is one of the one of my favorite parts of my of my job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's something I I would say. Sorry. Last part. No, like I said, I'm going to just riff for a minute here. Sure. Um, if I was talking to someone who was a little bit older, a little more intellectual, I would go back to scripture and I would point out. So there, there is a, um, a Protestant who translated the scriptures as directly as possible. And I can't think what his name is, but Lee, I'll get you the the name of it sure. and you can put it in the show notes. He translated the Bible as, as directly as he possibly could. And it was actually, it was just the new Testament he did this mm-hmm. with. And so just out of Catholic curiosity, I went through and I looked at John 6. And um, in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Um, and then I looked at the Last Supper texts. And in each place, it says, this is my body. This is my blood. Mm-hmm. But then you think about it. Um, so Jesus is the word made flesh. He's, he is the word of God. And so God cannot contradict himself. If God says, I am, if he says, my body is true food and my blood is true drink. Right. It's true food and true drink. Yeah. He's not, he's not messing around. Like. Yeah. He's thrown down. He's giving you the real, real, you know, the real, he, real. he's giving there you the is. real, real. There it is. He's, <laughs> that's such a goofy thing to say, he, but he doubles down. But he, yeah, he doubles down. He, he cannot, um, he cannot deceive himself. And so if Jesus himself says, I am the bread of life, my body is true food. My blood is true drink. He means it. He's not kidding. That's not an analogy. Um, He makes analogies very clearly in other places in scripture. And we could, you know, dive into that as much as we want, but but, you know, Catholics, we often go back just to the Gospel of John specifically yeah. because it's so clear there. Yeah. Um, and so I would I would just challenge this person to sit in adoration right. with John. Yeah. And and read through read through John six, read through the Last Supper narratives. Yeah. Um, 
for all my 80s arcade gamers out there, like the final boss yeah. of the Eucharist is John 6, and you got to get yeah, through John go. 6. Like you got to wrestle with John 6. So if you're unfamiliar, familiarize thyself. Enjoy. That's super good, Lee. Yeah, I actually this morning I sat with um, John chapter 6, verses 50 through 69. Yeah, you did. And I was sitting with that, and then I was also looking back at, you know, I know we got to dig into our encyclical document here. As often as I dive into those uh, first thing in the morning, this was a morning where I did. (laughs) And just looking back through it all, um, we were talking about the saints and the witness that they give to the Eucharist, Christ's real presence in that. Um, We have here what we're about to be uh, going through in Mysterium uh, is it Fide? Fide? Fide. Mysterium Fide, that St. Bonaventure, he declares, there's no difficulty over Christ being present in the sacrament as in a sign. So as in it's the sign, the sacrament, it's a sign. People can sort of wrap their hearts around that easily. But for some reason, our hearts are hardened in some ways and the fallen nature that we're born in, into here since original sin, that he says next, the great difficulty is in the fact that he is really in the sacrament as he is in heaven. So essentially what the saint is saying, if we really believe he's in heaven, we believe he's in the Eucharist and vice versa. And when we kind of go back to adoration, I think what I would encourage for anybody who's on the fence is go to adoration and don't worry about anybody else who's in there, how well lit or how dim it is. Just focus on being open to the idea that Christ is really present in what you're looking at. Like he's actually looking back at you. You're seeing him. There's a reflection here. He's made in our image we're seeing ourselves. We're seeing mm-hmm. eternity. Eternity is looking back at us. It's this gateway. It's this portal to eternal life. Christ is right there. He's he's that point of, of connection. And so when I look at the rest of this quote from St. Bonaventure, it says, and so believing this, this truth of mm-hmm. the fact that he's really in the sacrament is especially meritorious. And not that that means that you're winning a, a medal like in the eyes of the world that we're trying to just say, right. oh yeah, this is something I'm you know, going to check a box in on my resume. I believe in the real, you know, presence of, of Christ in the Eucharist, but that that sitting in there with the Lord in that time of the senses where we're not mm-hmm. talking, where we're actually exposed in a silent way, it allows our other senses to fully receive what's going on because we're not distracted by sound. We're not trying to talk or think about what we're, we're going to say. So we're losing part of the yeah. message of the speaker. We can just enter in and there's something to be grasped there that's maybe not possible outside of that space. And so I really would encourage anybody who's on the fence about, is Jesus really in the Eucharist? Go to adoration and receive him in the other senses that are yeah. that are you know there. Yeah. yeah. Amen. And just ask him too, you know, like when you're there, because as St. Thomas Aquinas, he says, like sound can be like the, the words of another could be the most trusted uh, of all senses. Just ask him a direct question and let, and respond and I, th- I think you will agreed yeah i would i would agree with everything that's been said and that was my my first instinct as well was um to invite someone to to enter the a chapel and to sit with john chapter six and just to read through that um i i feel like when i was going through my my master's in theology i would read john chapter six like Sometimes every day, at least like once a week, I would just read through it over and over and over again. And I think that there's something to be said about that. And in particular, I think it's verse 55, uh, where he says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And I, I can't imagine a better invitation than to just read and meditate on those words in front of uh, the blessed sacrament. 
and then like you said like really just ask the lord like this is what you're saying this is what your scripture uh records you as saying now please tell me that speak that to my heart yeah and reveal yourself to me and really really like i i think sometimes we don't and when i say we i mean me we don't really give the lord the opportunity to do that yeah and he's he's not going to shy away from an invitation like that and it's not a place of of pride it's a place of humility and sitting before him and saying like lord i want to know you i want to see your face like show yourself yeah. to me reveal yourself to me and i think that if we ask that earnestly and we persevere in asking that and we ask that from a pure heart he will do that because he wants to reveal himself to us as he wants us to come to the knowledge of of the truth and he wants us to to see him and encounter him and so i don't think that anyone who comes before the lord and really and truly asks for him to reveal himself to to the person i don't think the lord would would deny that um so i would I would echo that invitation to, to sit yeah. with John chapter six in, in a chapel. And then the other thing that I would, I would point out and, or I would share, you know, if someone came up to me and they're like, you know, I just, I don't get it. Or, you know, I don't, I just don't think we need it. Um, is I would probably share this story. I remember sharing this story with um, the teens a lot when I would volunteer in youth ministry. And oftentimes I would give uh, talks and teachings on the Eucharist. And I would like to share this story. Um, from Archbishop Fulton Sheen, and, and he writes about this in his book on the sacraments. And I believe it's actually a true story um, that Fulton Sheen talks about a woman going through RCIA who said that, you know, she, she could believe everything but the Eucharist. And uh, I, would love to, I would love to watch Archbishop Fulton Sheen answer someone uh, who, who, who can't believe the Eucharist. But in particular, he says that he, he talks to, to the uh, young woman and, and learns that she's She's married, her husband's in the military, that he had been deployed and he was overseas, and that um, they would kind of like communicate with each other by writing letters every other day or something like that, that she would keep a picture of, of him by her bed and near her at all times when he was gone. And Fulton Sheen responds saying, so you should be perfectly satisfied and happy, right? Like there's nothing lacking in, in your love. You have a picture of him to remember him and you have the ability to communicate with him like that should be enough to which of course she responds saying well no like that's not enough like i want to be with him mm -hmm. i need to commune with him i need to be uh in unity one flesh with him like that's when like i'm ultimately able to to experience uh, the love of our marriage which fulton sheen then says well if if human love craves oneness shouldn't divine love and even even in our own uh, relationship with the Lord, like it's great to to meditate and to look at icons and pictures of the Lord and to reflect on that, to to communicate with yeah. Him in prayer and reading the scriptures. But we also would want uh, true unity with Him, the ability to be one flesh with the Lord, and that yeah. really only happens in the Eucharist. And so it's like even on on an, in a natural way. Like if human love craves that oneness, so too does like divine love and our mm -hmm. love for the Lord. And so I would say, I would probably share that story and like kind of like dive into that with a person and, and like kind of point out that our hearts really want the Eucharist too. Yeah. And, and I, I think that there's something there to, to, to be reflected on. Yeah. The Lord wants to, he wants to communion with us uh, completely. Like he's not, he doesn't really do anything like 
like a half portion or whatever. Like he, when he gives, he gives completely. Yes. Mm. And he wants to give himself to us completely in our physicality too, because he honors uh, his creation and he honors uh, his children. I think now might be a great time to transition into the second part of our conversation today about Mysterium Fidei, this encyclical of Pope St. Paul the Sixth on the Holy Ooh. Eucharist. He wrote this September 3rd. You know, before I get into the details, I just want to say, follow along with us. We would be so happy to follow along with you through this document. We, we want to make the capital T tradition of the church more accessible to everybody. And it's like, if you hear encyclical and if you're like me and are like, how about no, thanks. Uh, I'm not going to sit down and read an encyclical for fun. It's like, <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. But like, if we break it up into little pieces together, we can actually receive so much gold together um, as church from the church because the church has already thought through these things and the church has already spoken and continues to speak the Lord's truth and the Lord's grace to us. So let's jump in. It's a goodie. He wrote this September 3rd, 1965. And he wrote this to who? He wrote this to his brother bishops, patriarchs, primates, which I think was kind of funny. I was like, so he wrote this to chimpanzees and to orangutans? <laughs> no, he wrote this to uh, the heads of the church of the Eastern churches who are in communion with the Church of Rome. Church, 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 archbishops, bishops, and all the local ordinaries, and to the clergy and lay faithful of the entire world. So again, like... Eucharistia de Ecclesia that we just finished from John Paul II. Pope Paul VI, he's writing this to everybody. That includes you and me. And he wrote this for one purpose too, um, that a new wave of Eucharistic devotion sweep over the church. I mean, come on. He writes that in uh, paragraph 13, that a new wave of Eucharistic devotion will sweep over the church. Let it be so, Jesus, please. So without further ado, we're just going to give you our, our uh, greatest hits, our, our gold nuggets that we took from this, and just have a little short conversation about uh, what stuck out to us. So something that really struck me about this particular document is that it's really easy to read. Um, Pope Paul VI, I've, this is probably only the second thing that I've read by him, uh, the first one being Humana Vitae. Um, maybe I've read three things. Anyways, not terribly important, but he writes for the bishops, but like to the faithful. Yeah. Um, so the gift of the 21st century is that we have access to all of the encyclicals that have ever been written. And we have this lovely parchment background <laughs> that you can read it on. Yeah. And this is like actually so accessible. It's not very long. Um, it, and it, again, it's just, it's just so, so accessible. And what I, one of the things I really like about it is the first, paragraph he starts off the mystery of faith that is the ineffable gift of the eucharist that the church the catholic church received from christ her spouse as a pledge of his immense love is something that she has always devoutly guarded as her most precious treasure mm. um and I'll, I'll stop there but what a way to start off an encyclical we're like the eucharist is literally the best thing ever come on yep all right that's i that's love that my paraphrase first. yes <laughs> that's perfect Youth ministry lingo for Gen Z. <laughs> right. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, the pledge, like that word pledge. I'm not talking about tabletop cleaner folk. We're talking about like Jesus pledging himself to the church, his bride, in a physical, tangible way. A pledge, why? A pledge of what? Of glory, 
of glory accessible here and now through this looking glass of the Eucharist, but this pledge of eternal glory to come in the next life. So, Yeah, it made me think of uh, yesterday I was in Mass and uh, was praying for my fiancé. And I was just overwhelmed by how much I love him. Like to the, again, I don't cry. I was like welling up with tears thinking about how I'm just, I'm so excited to be married to him. And I feel like if I love like this so deeply, like mm-hmm. how much more does the Lord love us? Yeah. Um, how much more, mm. how much more yeah. guys? Wow. As a spouse. Yeah. yeah. As a spouse. Um, Yeah. Who, who is love himself. Like, can't mm-hmm. be that, literally. Yeah. So then, um, this is Anne again. I'm looking at paragraph two, and I was just thinking about how so many things that at least I was taught early in, in life when I was so active in sports, you're trying to go for first place everything. Mm-hmm. And so then if I'm trying to be the best Christian, I'm trying to go for first place everything. I'm just kind of thinking about that, and not yeah. just for the sake of being holier than thou. It's more sort of like how God is calling us to live what is his will and thy mm-hmm. will be done. And so when I looked at paragraph two, it says for if the sacred liturgy holds first place in the life of the church. And for some reason that jumped off the page to me that I was just like the sacred liturgy. Okay, I need to make sure I understand what is a sacred liturgy. <laughs> then then it says, then the Eucharistic mystery stands at the heart and center of the liturgy. And so I was like, well, if the Eucharistic mystery is at the heart and the center and that's first place in the church, I need to know all about that and believe it fully. Yeah. And it goes on to say, since it is the font of life that cleanses us and strengthens us to live not for ourselves, but for God and to be united to each other by the closest ties of love. Yeah. And kind of going off of what Anna just mentioned too, where she uh, mentioned that she was praying for her future spouse. Um, she's getting married to very soon um, and was thinking just how much she loves him. And then she was kind of called on to think, oh my gosh, how much does God love us? If we're called to enter into the closest ties of love in the church to be in a unitive way, fully tied and committed to the church and to God, we need to do what's first place in the life of the church. And what this says here is the Eucharistic mystery is at the heart and the center of the liturgy, which holds first place in the church. Yeah. Just answers that so fully. And and I just love that about this. The church was born on Pentecost Sunday, but the, the priesthood was, you know, began Holy Thursday. Take this, you know, do this in remembrance of me. Do this. Like, yes, like this is the heart of the church. This is the first place for the church. Amen. Amen. Something that uh, always stands out to me is, well, for one, I, I love the, you know, the title of this encyclical, and there's the recognition that, yes, the Eucharist is a mystery. It is the mystery of faith. Um, but as I spent many uh, years, you know, and continue to read and study the faith, something that's been made very clear is that, you know, a mystery of faith doesn't mean it's, we can't know anything about it. Yeah. It just means we can't know everything about it. And I think that sometimes, um, especially if, you know, we're, we're sharing the faith or catechizing like younger children, like there's the temptation when someone asks a difficult question to just say, oh, well, it's a mystery. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, it's just a mystery. You can't understand it. And I think um, Pope Paul VI does a good job of um, explaining the truths of the Eucharist and pointing out that even though it is a mystery, there are truths of the Eucharist that we can know and that, and that we must know. And so some of the parts that stood out to me were paragraphs 10 through 12, where uh, he sort of clarifies some false misunderstandings about the Eucharist and some contemporary theologians who might have been uh, spreading uh, error right. when, when teaching about the Eucharist. And he does a good job, but he's not, he's not trying to point fingers or 
point out names or call out who's spreading these uh, this misinformation. And he even points out that they're doing he, he gives them like, trying. you know, he's charitable. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to understand this mystery and they're just falling short a little bit. And the best way to, to know your, uh, your understanding of mystery well is that you stay close to the heart of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, so I, I thought that that was, that was something that really stood out to me. And I think it's very clear. He says in um, paragraph 12, that everyone can see that the spread of these and similar opinions does great harm to belief in and devotion in the Eucharist. And so it's like very important that if we want to cultivate devotion to the Eucharist, if we want to cultivate like a love of Christ in the Eucharist, we have to also ensure that we're properly sharing the truth about right. the Eucharist. And in fact, if you share like the, if you really do share the truth of the Eucharist, like you're going to get very fervent devotion because mm-hmm. the more we recognize that as Jesus, uh, the more we'll we'll climb and crawl over broken glass to yeah. get to him. Yeah, mm. Jesus says in John John ten, "I am the way, the truth, truth, and the life." So, like, life. Um, if if we want lovey dubby, happy Jesus, teddy bear Jesus, the like teddy that, bear Jesus, that's the, that's the same <laughs> Jesus of truth. Um, like Jesus is all one and the same, um, and, and truth um, is love too, like love incarnate what so yeah that itself is a mystery so if we just take the lord at his word and um seek to understand um and not just like be complacent with our ignorance but like truly seek to understand what we can um in our limited in our fallen uh, capacity in our fallen like uh, yeah it's just like we have to do what we can and for those of you listening today you're doing what you can come on jesus thank you so much um keep leaning in and yeah and if there's anybody who's been around the block, uh, who knows a thing or two about this mystery of faith. It is the capital C Catholic Church. Uh, we've been around the block more than anybody. And we there are people who have literally died for this, people who have spent their entire lives to, to proclaim the good news about this, to study this, and to, to put together um, just a treasure trove of information um, about this. So there is like the, the, the knowledge of the church uh, the wisdom of the church is as deep as it is wide, and it is very, very, very deep. So, yeah, I just wanted to tag that on the end. Yes and amen. 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 Um, I did have one more sort of a side note. Yeah. So when I was looking at paragraph 14, I was just thinking about that because I thought, well, but how about those hungry hearts that are searching and they just, for some reason, there's something inside of them that they refuse to believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Is yeah. all of their search in in vain? Is, is all of that a, mm. a sinful nature? You know, is that a bad next step? And it uh, in 14, it addresses this. It says that those who are spreading strange opinions about the Eucharist, and I'm uh, doing sort of a, para- a paraphrasing no, <laughs> of this section here, but in, in paragraph 14, says, those who are spreading strange opinions about the Eucharist are making a praiseworthy, it says, praiseworthy effort to investigate this lofty mystery and to set forth its inexhaustible riches to make it more understandable to the men of today. And so men and women, of course, um, they are, but that it goes on at the end of that to say there's grave danger in following these these opinions of the Eucharist versus true faith mm. and what that asks us to to follow and to believe and to sort of uh, to transcend what we can just see with the senses. Yeah. And so that's something that it sort of answered my my question of, well, how about for those hearts that are 
you know, they're starving for answers and they're out there and they're searching, they're sort of sharing their findings on the way. Well, they may later become or, you know, keep on for their whole whole life in, in search of, of the truth. They may be headed toward the Catholic faith as a reality of the Eucharist, of the mass, of, of the source and summit of our faith. And that journey is not in vain. Christ is working through that. Um, it's just for a matter of the faithful to take that yeah. Um, in the perspective of each person is on their own journey. There is beauty. There's going to be gems, but the, the full presence, the full embodiment of truth, is in the masses in the Holy Eucharist. Yeah. Yeah, and I think on top of that, uh, twenty-four paragraph twenty-four, um, this this rule of language that the Church has established through the long labor of centuries, which is verbatim what he says to start twenty-four off with the help of the Holy Spirit, um, and he's been and it has been confirmed with the authority of these councils where the church has spoken declaratively on certain topics and issues, um, like these things have been uh, religiously preserved, as he says. Um, why? Because these are to, to be restrictive and to be forceful and authoritarian? No. Why? Because they set forth what the human mind grasps what, they, what the human man can grasp of reality through necessary and universal experience and what it expresses in apt and exact words, whether it be in ordinary, kind of like this, or in more refined language like in, in some of the other documents of the church. And these formulas are adapted to all men and to all times and to all places. Something else that, that really, really stuck out to me uh, in, in the section kind of on relying on, on revelation and not reason is... Uh, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier about like how a mystery of faith is something that we we can understand because we just can't understand all of it, but it also is something we really rely on revelation uh, revelation to know. And I loved uh, it was in paragraph um, nineteen where we we read Thomas Aquinas is quoted his his hymn Adoro Te Devote, and um, and I don't think I had actually read this hymn before. And I love the line that Pope Paul VI quotes. He, he says, sight, touch, and taste in thee are each deceived. The ear alone most safely is believed. I believe all the Son of God has spoken. Then truth's own word, there is no truer token. And I, th those lines just like really jumped off the page. I mean, I went mm -hmm. and I read the rest of the hymn. And there, the, the very next line, uh, I it was a moment of just, you know, um, God's consolation. The very next line, Aquinas writes, God only on the cross lay hid from view, but here lies hid at once the manhood too. And so it's like, we actually have the opportunity today that the, the, the apostles and disciples of Jesus had 2000 years ago is they had a man standing before him saying, I am God. And all yeah. they had to rely on was his word. And we have today the ability to look at a piece of bread and all we have to rely on is God's word saying, this is my body. Right. And it's, it's just beautiful that a lot of times, you know, at least for me, I, I remember joking with my family, like, well, if you were alive 2000 years ago and Jesus showed up, would you have believed him or would you not have believed him? Would you have followed him? Would you not have followed him? And we get that chance today in a very unique and special way with the yeah. Eucharist. We're in a very similar position to the, uh, the first disciples and witnesses of Christ is, his Godhead was very unclear, 
Uh, and in the same way, his godhood and his manhood are both very unclear in the Eucharist yeah. because we just see bread and wine. Yeah. Um, but we have to rely on his word, just like the first apostles did. Right. And like all the other things that contribute to that word, like John wrote his gospel a lot later than the first three. And he's writing to kind of fill in the gaps and give more heart of the gospel um, to the world. And anyway, but the point being that um, just coming to those places of, of like, Lord, I don't completely understand this, but I trust you. You know, like I, I don't, I think that's what Peter says, like, Lord, to who else shall we go? Who, mm-hmm. who else shall we go? Like, who else can we trust more than you who are literally making new eyeballs in some dude's sockets who didn't even have eyes. Like you're raising the dead. You are cleansing lepers. You are like blind people are seeing people who cannot walk are getting out of their chairs or off their mats and walking around. Like what? To whom else shall we go? Lord. Yes, Lord. Like, yeah, I know you're telling me to chew on you like some beef jerky, but like, I don't get that, (laughs) but I love you. And I trust you. I trust you. I, I also really liked that section, relying on revelation, not reason. Um, and the the quote there from St. John Christossom, um, I'm just going to take the last little piece of it. Um, he says, but instead hold fast to his words, for his word cannot deceive. Mm-hmm. And man, I love that. I love that. Uh, but this whole section makes me think of the, I believe it was a centurion, and I'm not yeah. going to remember what the gospel is right this moment, but the, the centurion says, um, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my, under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Yeah. Um, but I, I try to follow that with Lord, I, I believe help my unbelief. Yeah. Um, and there have been times in my life where that's something that I just continue to say because my, uh, my intellect does not understand how the Lord can be present in the Eucharist, but I yeah. know he's there. Mm-hmm. And um, so just continuing to pray that, but that, that section just made me think of Lord, I believe help my unbelief. Yeah. Um, I, I think the other thing, and we are, we kind of already touched on it, but the one thing that I would, I feel like I would like hammer home and want to hammer home is, is, you know, what, what you said, Peter says after that bread of life discourse in yeah. John six of, you know, uh, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's like what's what's baked in the middle there is, you know, Jesus is telling the truth about the Eucharist, and he's saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. And the people then say, this is a difficult saying. This is a hard saying. Mm-hmm. Who can believe it? And it says it wasn't it wasn't like bystanders. It wasn't just random people. It, it says that his many of his disciples left him so people who had already gave up a lot to follow him and jesus doesn't come back and say i'm sorry if you misunderstood me like i get that that seems a little weird he he doesn't try and back up at all or backtrack or say it's very symbolic language Mm -hmm. i didn't mean you literally have to do this like he had every opportunity to do that yeah and that's kind of like the only thing that makes sense of why jesus would then say to his to, to Peter and the apostles, like, are you going to leave me as well? It's like, right. well, why would we leave you? Like, that's, it really isn't that difficult of a saying to believe that, oh yeah, like, you know, bread, which is a staple thing in our life yeah. can symbolize you, who is really the most staple part of our life. Like, that's not a difficult saying, but you know, what is a difficult saying is what the Catholic church says that Jesus said is that we have to truly consume 
his body and blood yeah. under yeah. the appearance of bread and wine. That That is difficult. Yeah. And we have the opportunity, like Peter, to say, well, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Yeah. And, and I know that Pope Paul VI kind of points that out as well. And I think, again, like that's another thing that I would share with someone who maybe is on the fence or who, who kind of is yeah. sort of doubting and unclear is, you know, the Lord had every opportunity to backtrack and to make it more symbolic yep. and less literal. And he chose not to purposefully. Right. And I love the progression too of how like take this and eat like whoever eats he the the Greek word there is estio, and uh, mm-hmm. he he doubles down even further because they're like, uh, what do you wait? Is he saying is he saying what we think he's saying? And then he doubles down. He stops using estio and he starts using this word called trogo, which means to gnaw, to chew. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're kind of grimacing <laughs> and they're like, uh, you know, he's okay. This dude is like actually crazy. So, um, yeah, just to to kind of back up your point exactly no i i was just gonna say that um it's been an honor to be here i think we've covered everything that really spoke out the most to me um i just really want to encourage anybody that's in the kansas city area we're super blessed that we have so many adoration chapels yeah and so i just encourage you to go and even if you get there and you don't know the password um you know you can talk to a friend you can talk to the parish you can call first make sure when the hours are going to be that you can just go and have access and um, there's a lot of people at the parish whether or not you're listening and you're you're catholic or not um if you give either a phone call to a parish or post on their page on the website on on a facebook page or just email the uh the, the office at the parish a ton of us would love to to, to go with you. So if yeah. if you're, you're thinking, hey, it's my first time, I'm interested in this adoration chapel uh, as an experience. I don't know what to what to do there, how to get in. Yeah, um, we have a lot of people that would be so willing to go with you, to pray with you, um, or just to show you how to get in so that you can have a private yeah. uh, experience there. Um, and so please do, you know, do yeah. reach out. We'd we'd, we'd love to, um, to to take you there to adoration. Amen. Amen. Um, and yeah, I just want to say thank you to our guests today. Thank you for your ministries. Thank you for um, all that you do for the body of Christ. So I, I know that Flockno is is doing a ton to connect the church and to to stay con- like to help the church stay connected, um, not just as a whole but um, locally too. Um, like knowing your pastor, knowing your parish, knowing your community. Um, more intentionally, um, I can just speak to their efficacy and to their power and uh, um, what they've been able to uh, bear fruit or the fruit that they've been able to bear is probably the best way to say that. So just thank you for, not that you created Flockno, but thank you for all that you're doing to foster happiness in the church and to be an engineer of happiness. Um, so just thank you. And Anna, thank you for your service to our young people because our teens, our young people are so hungry for Jesus, thank you for uh, your yes and for um, everything that you've you've given for the church today. And congratulations to you, all of you guys. All of you are about to enter into a new season, whether it be thank children, you. marriage. Thank you, Jesus. Come on! <laughs> I'm so excited to see what the Lord continues to do in and through you. Um, if you want to learn more about the Eucharist revival here in the Archdiocese of Kansas City, in Kansas, or throughout the nation feel free to just hop down to our show notes and we'll put some links there uh, to get you some resources, some um, to point you in all the right direction. And if you're interested, if you're a church leader and you're interested in integrating Flocknote into your parish communications 
whatever, those links will also be in uh, the show notes as well. But yeah, thank you so much for listening in today. If you have not left a review, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify to help us get the word out there that Jesus is alive and that he is truly present in uh, the Holy Eucharist. Um, Thank you for all of you who have left a review. You're helping us get the word out there already. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been an honor having you. We'll see you next week. This is New Manna.